Welcome to No Challenges Remaining. Here live from New York, it's Sunday evening. I'm Ben Rothenberg, joined by my dear award-winning friend, Courtney Nguyen. How are you, Courtney? I'm perfectly fine, and we're just going to leave that at that for the moment. Let's talk about the draws for this tournament. We are here in New York, both been to site at least a little bit, went to Media Day, and all that that entailed up in uh, Louis Armstrong Stadium. And now the draws are there. I went to the draw ceremony. Um, I will tell you, we'll get to that line of the draw later the key line, I really, really don't like, especially with this draw, that they don't do it in public. I'm just saying, if you were going to rig a draw, this is what you'd make. So maybe put it in public. I'm not saying it is rigged. I'm just saying there should be more proof that it's not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes. I mean, that this happened two years ago as well when, yeah. when, when Sharapova was playing her first U.S. Open and then drew Simona Halep in the first round. And it was just, and it was, again, it was a draw reveal and all this sort of stuff, but it just felt, again, absolutely 100% saying it's not rigged, but it's hard to fight the optics <laughs> when something like this happens and you're like, come on, are you serious? It was, I was literally thinking like, this is, if you could pick one match to yeah. draw, this is the one you do. And so... With that being said, let's dive into the U.S. Open 2019 women's singles draw here on our PDF. Uh, start with the top line, Naomi Osaka, the defending champion, top seed, and top seed for uh, the second time at a Grand Slam after the French Open. She opens against Anna Blinkova of Russia and then gets Astra Sharma, who's had a very solid year. Australian got or, direct in. Or Magdalenette, the Bronx champion. I watched part of a replay of the Bronx final um, on Tennis Channel, and there were after having been pretty empty most of the week, there were a lot of people there for that final. And like, they were loud and they were impassioned and Lynette was shouting things at them and they were shouting things back at her and it was wonderful. And Camille Georgie was there too. And it was in, she won her first title as a qualifier and WTA still has three rounds of qualifying. So eight matches in a week, she might be tired, but she's playing very well. So congrats to Magdalenette as part of a Polish sweep weekend. We'll get to more on the other side of it probably. Well, yes. And another thing about what you were saying, I think uh, Blair Henley, our good friend, was out there at the Bronx this week. And she said that it was all Polish fans, that the Poles, which we know before there was the, the, the Simona Halep stands that kind of became like the loudest kind of voting block of tennis fan, there were the Poles and Agnieszka Radwanska. And so, yeah, the Polish fans went out, came out in force. They were the ones like shouting for, for Magda, who was down a break in the third set and was able to come back. But um, so, yeah, I'm kind of feeling like between Iga and, uh, and now Magda and obviously our boy Hubie, like there's a lot to be excited about with Polish tennis for the next 10 years. Absolutely. And also I can't talk it loud. Eastern European fan bases are giving the Serbs a shout. Oh, obviously, yes. Obviously, the Serbs. Serbs were kind of the OG. That's what I think. Yeah, yeah, pretty much for that kind of movement, definitely. Um, So Saka gets Blinkova, Sharma, Lynette. I think that's pretty uh, comfortable for her. Uh, Should be anyway, assuming she's healthy with her knee. That was that's the question mark with her after pulling out of midway through that uh, quarterfinal in Cincinnati, which she was pretty in control of against Sofia Kennan and won six of the last eight games before having a pretty acute looking injury. Um, so we'll see how she is there. Blink of it's, I think, a pretty comfortable starter for her. But uh, So she gets a little time to work her way back into that draw. But then she could get a very high-profile match, potentially third round against one of the most looked-for floaters in this draw, uh, Coco Golf. Actually, you know what? If Golf had played Serena, that would have been the one that was like really like, okay. But the thing with Sharapova, I'll get to it later. <laughs> but Golf has potentially go some places. Her draw is not bad, starting against 
Potapova, although I think... I think Potapova can knock her out. Sure. Is that how we're saying it? Potapova? Isn't it? Because it's always... I say Potapova. Yeah, you're doing the Sharapova pronunciation, which isn't technically... Like, isn't it... Anyways... I don't know. I always Anast- say Potapova. The eighteen-year-old Anastasia um, <laughs> will be here, but I think actually, t- I, I, I think I think the uh, the toughest whatever, <laughs> the toughest part of this draw, I think, is actually Carla. I think Carla is a very tough stopper. She's had some very good results at this tournament. Very consistent at the U.S. Open. Yeah. Beat Sharapova in a night match here last year. It was actually Sharapova's first ever night loss here. So, and she's beaten Venus here. I'm pretty sure. Like, she just got double bagel by Serena here. So she's had ups and downs, Carla, but. On her birthday, she got the little bit. It was rough. Um, but Carla, I think it's a it's a tough draw for uh, Coco, and if she can get through that, I'll be very impressed. I don't yeah. think she can't, but I'll be impressed. Yeah, I mean, I, I still highlight. I, I just, I, I really do think that that uh, Potapova Potapova match is a big one. I'm very much looking forward it's a fierce to that rivalry. <laughs> Potapova and Potapova. Yes. <laughs> Two come in, one walks out. Um, yeah, so I think that'll be an interesting teenager match, and yeah, obviously Carla. But um, but yeah, on the whole, I mean, if you take a step back and just look at Naomi's draw, it's pretty good for a first week, which is what she needs more than anything else because there are question marks about her knee. Ben, you asked her to identify what the diagnosis was on her knee um can you please tell 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 the fans what what naomi describes her knee issue as being she described the issue as being you be too shady and it hurt my knee (laughs) is that more or less right that's 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 pretty accurate to what she said is there context to this comment ben because it's my favorite development of the summer (laughs) she was taken aback i think when i asked her for a story that hopefully will be out by the time you hear this maybe early as soon as that a story about Sasha Bai and her ex-coach is coming back here. Having written, I think the question was about him writing a book. In Cincinnati. In Cincinnati, right. About him writing a book about her, which I honestly wasn't time at Wimbledon to ask because she wasn't there very long. Uh, the book did come right before that. And she just sort of looked surprised and she said, well, ooh, man, you're shady. Man, you're shady. She said it twice and then she said... It's in the transcript. Haven't read it. Don't plan on reading it. But then she also was like, hi, Ben, how are you? Like, we take left out of the she transcript. Did. Anyway, uh, so we're, I think we're, we're There's fine. There's no beef. It's just, it's Naomi being cute in her own way. And yeah. Although if having, a, if having alleged beef is how we get people on the show, <laughs> Naomi would be happy to have you anytime. We can get her on regardless anyway, probably. Maybe. I don't know. Um, yeah. So that's that's uh, Naomi. And then in her fourth round, she gets a tougher opponent in Belinda Benchich, who's beaten her twice this year, right? Yes. So. And, it's, and that's really where I think... When you look at Naomi's title defense road, that's where it really does get kind of tough is, you know, to play somebody in Benchich who's really, I mean, saved match points against her in Madrid to get that win and then also stopped her title defense in Indian Wells in straight sets in a pretty perfunctory performance. It's a matchup that really bothers Naomi. She hasn't really been able to sort it out. So um, that's really tough. Although Benchich hasn't been playing that great since her incredible first three months of the season. So, you know, a little bit, a little bit uh, touch and go. So we'll see. But Benchich opening against Manila, she should take care of that one. Third round again, or second round against either Jesse Pagula, who just won City Open, or Alize Cornet. Not necessarily easy, especially Pagula. She might really get up for it, something like that. And then a really potentially tough third rounder against Contavite or a floating Marie Buzkova, who we love, who made semifinals as a qualifier of Toronto, um, really pushed Serena um, as well. And uh, just a delightful, delightful young lady from the Czech Republic who... I just highly encourage everybody to talk to Marie Buzkova. She will bring sunshine into your heart. She's lovely. 
can't top that. But I mean, but I see it. So Benchers just not have an easy road there. If Benchers gets there, it's trouble. I don't think any of the other seven particularly I would circle as a challenge too much for, for Naomi. I guess I just think I know she's unproven. That's a straightforward matchup for Naomi though. Like I don't think that like I don't think she does anything particularly tricky or particularly okay. exceptional, honestly, that that Naomi would be like in the way that Benches has a certain kind of game that can yeah. unnerve Naomi. I don't see that being a matchup problem for her against Annette. So yeah. Yeah, it's interesting when you think about Naomi, right? Because when you think about the losses that she takes, so often they're not straightforward ex like like players. It's usually some sort of and again, there's a twenty one year old. Yes, she's won two majors and she's won Indian Wells, but when you think about the exposure that she's just had in terms of repetition against certain game styles, it's been pretty tricky, right? Shea Sue is always a difficult, you know, back and forth with her. Benchich plays a very particular style of game that doesn't, that makes a lot of people uncomfortable um, because she takes the ball sorely and, and, and stands right on the baseline and, and things like that. So a lot of, a lot of Naomi's losses do come against players that, you know, they're Putintseva, just a certain type, like the, it's just a certain type of player. You're like, oh, I don't know if Naomi's like ready to pass that subject in in school yet. Or let me not ace the test every right. time. I mean, Benchich is that kind of player. Cornet could be that kind of player if that she comes through that part of the draw. Um, Pagula and eh, a little bit. I mean, we'll see. I mean, I I think again with Naomi, it comes down to her knee. If if she's healthy, it's a hard court slam. She loves these. She's won the last two of them. Um, she'll, have I, a day off. she'll have the day off, right? She's a player to beat. So I, it's for me, it's just a question of how she looks health wise. And how she, and she's speaking very optimistically about that. Mm -hmm. So hopefully that matches how she's feeling and progressing. Uh, and then the quarter, her the rest of her quarter, we can move on to, uh, it's led by just to have in high seat order. Kiki Burton's is there. And also Rena Sabalenka are the two seats. And again, you had a tweet, which I think just sort of summed up this era of women's tennis where you're like, you used to write draw previews where they'd be like favorites and then like next list favorites and dark horses. And now everyone's, Literally everyone's a dark horse <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> of various shades of dark. <laughs> it really is. And so, yeah. Yeah, no. I, this th section to me is just that. I mean, like, because, like, all of them are, like, all the seeds are, like, relevant-ish. There's a bunch, few floaters who are key in there. Kanepi, Azarenka, Putinseva. Sabalenka versus Azarenka is sort of another blockbuster first-round match. Um, and it just shows that, like, gosh, Vika's still not getting the seeded territory. Like, as much as Vika's playing... Looks like playing pretty well. She just has not been winning these close matches. She's like the sort of like almost like the old optimistically. She's what Kerber was several years ago, where she was always like the tough challenger who like produced great epic matches but never won any of them. Oh, like this year where she was making all these finals and playing like whatever, but she wasn't breaking through until the end. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe. I mean, I think. But yeah, getting back to my point, I mean, it, so much of what it feels like right now, and in terms of and why I just the, the idea of even prognosticating what's going to happen in the women's draw seems like a futile effort is that it just comes down to who shows up on that given day. And the matchups that, that, you know, that, that kind of play out. And, and so in terms of like, you know, I think Vekic is always a dangerous floater. I mean, she's a seeded player and we know she's been playing really, really well, but she could play a Kanepi in the second round. If Kaya shows up, we know what Kaya can do. So what is the point of really prognosticating through, right? Sabalenka, Azarenka, depends on which Vika. I think Sabalenka's trending up. Yeah. She's playing better, better tennis, which is great to see. But then second round could play a Potenceva who unwinds, can unwind her. You know, it just really depends. Then you've got obviously Kiki Bertens who, you know, she should be making the second week here. Um, she's had pretty much a, a, a bad slam season. Um, and I think that, that she and her coach have pretty much acknowledged that this is the last gasp effort in terms of salvaging her slam season. Um, even with that, she's a seventh seed here, even with her Cincinnati points off, even yeah. with, you know, it's pretty, and her Wimbledon quarterfinal points off. It's actually pretty impressive that what she's done in the last 12 months, but 
she could play a Pavlyuchenkova in the second round. And Pavs isn't playing great right now, but it's Pavs on any given day, right? And and they played, I think it was Pavlyuchenkova that knocked her out at the Australian Open, I believe, uh, in January or the year before. So it's it's an, an not a, a love, not a matchup she likes, uh, Kiki and, and Pavs. So tough one. Pavlyuchenkova, by the way, the new star of Rob Steckley yes. Productions, which is always a treat. I, I mean, I, I honestly don't know. To, I, he did really well with Safarova results-wise and pretty well with Shapovalov also. Um, his coaching laurels where they are, but like his social media product is worth it, honestly. If you're a player who just wants to have a profile, that's very, very good work. It was good. It was, it's, it's good stuff. If it's a good vibe, I think. Yeah. Like that pairing of her and like Pavs and, and Rob, I'm like, you know what? I see that. I get that. They're both kind of quirky in their own ways and they want to have fun and they don't take things too seriously and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So I, I like that pairing for them. Yeah, no. Yeah. So that's another section where everything goes. I, I think I think this sort of dark horse thing does not really hold necessarily for like the top five. I think that the top five current and I'm not can't remember who number five even is in the moment, but I assume she uh, top four then. <laughs> um, sorry. <laughs> it's true. Um, the top four can be looked at in sort of normal prognosticating ways. Uh, we get to Simona Halep in the second quarter of the draw. Halep opens against lucky loser Nicole Gibbs. Happy to see Nicole get a lucky loser. There, so. there are a bunch of actually lucky women's lucky losers in this draw. I think five women have now pulled out. Kristen Flipkins now just yeah. got in. Yeah. Um, so Halep opens against Gibbs. It shouldn't be too tough for Halep. Then it gets Townsend or Kozlova and then Stritseva. It's a good section for Halep. And these are not opponents who are thinking going to bother her. She gets bothered by people who will blast her off the court like a, a la Kaya Kanepi. Um, so I think it's comfortable for her. And then the, the match circle, I think, who also has a pretty good looking draw is assuming she's healthy, which I think she is at this point, but you never know with her. Um, a lot of the D word as Kerber would say, uh, Bianca Andreescu, uh, who's number 15 seed. That could be a really great fourth round match. Halep Andreescu. Yeah. That, that's the, the, the round of 16 match that I'm really looking forward to. I want to see it happen. There's two matches that I, I haven't seen that involves Simona Halep that I really want to happen. One is uh, against Andrescu and the other is against Naomi because she hasn't played Naomi since Naomi won the U.S. Open. So she hasn't played like this next iteration. Obviously, Naomi beat her resoundingly en route to the Indian Wells title, but she hasn't played this version. And I, 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 I would just like to see it because obviously Simona's much improved now as well. So those are the two matches that I'd really like to see. Obviously, all these players are in this this half of the draw. But, uh, but Andrescu, I mean... She can win this thing, man. Like, she can. Yeah. She has the game to do it. She can adjust. This draw looks pretty good. Uh, opens up against Volinets, the, the the USTA Nationals champion. Um, then Serenko or Flipkins, you feel like that. And then Wozniacki struggling a little bit these days. Wang Yafan might be the one to upset Wozniacki in the first round. That's an upset uh, watch. Or Collins, who uh, I think already beat uh, Wozniacki in Rome. Granted, via retirement, I yeah. think. But Collins, isn't it? Collins had a bit of a quiet year after... Australia, quite by her standards. Anyway. Right. Yeah, no, for sure. So it's a nice draw for Andrescu. It's a nice draw for Halep. I I think that's the one deep, deep match, like second week match that when we say projected, you know, that I actually think will happen the most. We're so cautious. It's fourth round. <laughs> but yes, I would agree with that too. I think that they both have good looking draws, friendly draws to them. And I hope they do make it. And then it's a really good match. Yeah. Romania versus Diaspora. The whole thing. It's great. Uh, and then in the next part of the 
uh, quarter is Sloane Stevens and Petra Kvitova are the highest seeds there. It's sort of a dangerous floatery kind of thing. I almost think Sloane deserves to be in that sort of Petra type conversation, just in terms of when she's on, she's on. When she's not, oh, watch out. I mean, both ways. The highs are high, the lows are lows. Uh, Sloane's draw, I do not like, though, because she gets Kuznetsova second round, potentially if Kuznetsova beats Christy Ahn, uh, who earned a wild card here winning the points challenge USCA does. Brutal draw for Christy Ahn. Yeah, but... Sveta has been playing really well, made the Cincinnati final. Although Sveta, again, she can be on. Right now she's on, but she can fall off just as quickly. But I think Sveta, I like to think, because I, we need narratives in this world, um, <laughs> is doing the whole visa issue, like is playing with a little bit less pressure here. She didn't know if she'd get to play this tournament or not. Um, and yeah, and so she's there as a possible second round. She destroyed Sloan in Cincinnati. Sloan swiftly thereafter um, parted with her coach Sven Grunefeld and then picked up Monica Puig's coach Kamau Murray uh, in ways which did not leave all parties happy in that exchange <laughs> um, yeah but Sloan is that's a tough one for Sloan it's a chance for redemption she's seen Sveta recently at least she knows how the hot Sveta is playing and then third round potentially several dangerous floaters in there uh, the seed is Muguruza who opens against Risk that's a very very tough first round one of the first rounds to circle to watch for sure and then Elena Ostapenko, and then throw in Alexandra Krunich too. Why not? Who's, who hasn't had a great year, but plays well here though. Plays really well in New York and has had good re- New York results several times. So that's a that's a tough little nugget of a section. And the winner Five major champions in this. Yeah, in this section, and so then yeah, Kvitova comes in, and it could also be uh, Kvitova gets Alert- Alertova to start, and then Pekovic or Buzernescu, and then Mertens, who's had a pretty decent summer. I feel like not not she did win that title in the Middle East this year. Uh, so yeah, so it's just, this is one of those, like, let's just let them play type sections. Because Petra's, Petra's kind of the wild card here, Adele Petra in full effect right now. She's coming back from an injury. I haven't seen her very much, much like Juan several times. And she looked pretty decent in, in Cincinnati, yeah, lost awesome. a close match to Sakari. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, just not a lot of, not a lot of data on Petra lately. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that the, the, the two names that stand out to me in this section are Petra and Kuznetsova just based on recent form and just, you know, Petra comes in, nobody's really talking about her, which is good. It's going to be cool-ish weather yeah. um, in, in comparison to what it was like when we first landed here, which was an absolute sauna. But we're actually going to get a bit of a heat break through that first week, which should be good. And it's a it's a pretty good draw for her. I mean, Buzernescu always, to me, dangerous. Um, you just never know. I mean, she, she took uh, – is she the only player that took Simone to three sets in Wimbledon? I can't remember. That might be true can't remember specifically um it's plausible plausible, but excuse me um but yeah so it's tricky um muguruza still remains a a question mark we all know grand slam garby as well um she hasn't been that way before you know she hasn't gotten that traction recently so and yeah that's true never here so it's tough but you know she's working kind of on an ad hoc basis right now with annabelle medina garrigas which is great uh fed cup captain and you know i think brings a good amount of levity and and kind of chill and and maybe gives her a little bit of breathing space as she kind of like regroups from splitting with Sam Sumick, which I think, you know, hopefully the next few months are kind of like a, a reset and, and a preparation for 2020, you know, suffice to say that was a split people were waiting for. And it took a long time. Um, cause that just had been a relationship that was not producing results and did not seem to be fun for either of them for quite a long time, at least on court when we saw in public, uh, did not seem great. Uh, yeah. But last time, Garby was being coached by a chill Spanish lady. She won Wimbledon 
And Annabelle Medina Garriga's last time I believe she coached any player, she got Ostapenko to win a slam. That's so true. If, if you can do it with Ostapenko, I mean, like, my gosh, like, bet all your money on Muguruza is basically what I'm saying here. There's no way she can lose. Oh, Ostapenko's second round. Yeah, that could be interesting. Um, interesting. Interesting indeed. Interesting. Sort of the bottom half of the draw. Uh, Alina Svitolina, number five, as we learned earlier, uh, is uh, in, uh, the top part of this section. Uh, could get a sec- open against Whitney Asigwe, who's been hurt. Hopefully, I'm not sure how she is coming into this tournament. She, she has not played a lot lately, Asigwe. Uh, and then Venus Williams, uh, second round potentially. Svitolina beat Venus uh, at the French Open first round. Uh, also first round, Venus opens against Sai Sai Zheng, or Zheng Sai Sai, who is not easy. The San Jose champion in the Nike sent one outfit to the tournament and everybody wore it. And Sai Sai came out on top of the yellow top blue navy blue whatever we had debated what color that top was but i, I think it's in the gold yellow family maybe like a uh, it seemed more orange than gold to me but I would, that's me. i would call it gilded daffodil if i had to come up with a crayon color and then you and then yastremska's in here too yastremska's had a very solid uh it wasn't good don't don't dwell on gilded oh, daffodil. just it sounded weirdly dirty i don't know why i'm like mm. i don't know why your mind went there i don't know either I don't know. Anyways, continue. Uh, yeah, Yashemska is there too. So that's an interesting, could be interesting Ukrainian battle. But the two, I believe, there are only two Ukrainian seeds. I think. Um, and then that'd be fun. I would really like to see that. Just yeah. also contrast of styles. And I mean, Yashemska hopefully kind of gets back on track. So dangerous the first six uh, six months of the season, um, and it hasn't had a great hard court seasons uh, since. But um, Man, so fun to watch. She she had match points on Sveta in Cincinnati. Uh, and Sveta was able to save those and come back in the second round. And it was a great match. So, um, yeah, definitely circling Yastremska as like a young one to watch. 32nd seed just got that last seed um, with all the withdrawals and stuff. And then the next little 16th of the draw features a rematch of a semifinal in Cincinnati, potentially in the third round. And I think they do both have pretty good paths to get there. Uh, Madison Keys and Sophia... Or Sonia Cannon. We're gonna go with Sophia for this tournament. Uh, Sophia opens against Coco Vandeweghe, who's in an all-American feisty matchup, which could be fun. Uh, those are two uh, girl or American women who can get uh, stroppy, let's say, on court, and so seeing them clash together could be could be entertaining. Uh, sort of a popcorny match for the first round. You did a story with Coco um, when she's coming back. She has had quite a sojourn. Yeah. You sum up what she's been going through. Yeah, no, because I hadn't really known the details of, of what had been keeping Coco Vandeweghe off tour um, and, and didn't really have the details. But effectively, you know, she had obviously sprained her ankle last year, uh, badly mid-match against Siniakova in Wimbledon. Um, and then since then was playing through that injury and um, wasn't really, probably shouldn't have. And then, um, but then in the offseason, she said she had a great offseason, was ready to go was playing an exhibition in in Hawaii before heading down to Auckland and uh she said that she just woke up one day and like her foot was just raging um incredible amount of pain and um stuff and she it, she said it genuinely felt like I broke my foot but I hadn't done anything um anyway effectively obviously skipped Australian Open uh got to the hospital on Christmas Day didn't know what it was eventually was diagnosed with um complex regional pain syndrome um, and which is basically kind of a, a nervous system issue. Just kind of, I, I don't know much about it. Um, I will only say from a tennis context, it's the same thing that Brengel has said she has ah, okay. with, with, with related to the blood testing okay. problems that she's had. Okay. There you go. Yeah. So it basically, my understanding is that it kind of comes out of like, it's a follow on thing from some sort of like trauma, like a physical trauma. Like, so she hurt her foot and then eventually got this and Brengel 
you know, to the extent that, that the needles are an issue, then got CPRS. Um, but yeah, so basically she was in a cast and um, couldn't do much and it was it was pretty tough. But obviously back, she looked physically great um, in San Jose where she played her first match. Um, and she got a win, an opening round win, I believe, if I remember correctly. Yes, she did. Yeah, she did, um, which was great. Um, but yeah, so th- it'll be an interesting match. I mean, since then, she's played doubles with Bethany. I think she may have played a qualifying singles match maybe in Cincinnati. Um, it's, um, you know, she hasn't looked as good as she did in San Jose, but, um, yeah, she's working her way back and, and that, that would be a match I would tune into. On the sort of stroppy front, um, I, I know that the winner of this match could get Lara Siegman in the, in the second round. And I don't know much about Lara Siegman's first round opponent, Magdalena Freck, but I hope she can keep up with this <laughs> because she has been dealt into a quite the group here, quite the uh, foursome of, of golf that she's about to set up on the course for. Um, Magdalena Freck beat somebody in the third round of qualifying. And it was, I remember there was like video, I remember on my Twitter timeline seeing video of like people being like, oh, that wasn't, that was a total handshake fail. So who knows? Maybe Freck is up, all up in there. We'll find out what the freck is going on. Um, Carolina Pliskova is the high seed in this next section, the dot number three. Again, she is one of these top four who I think can be talked about as someone plausibly who can be relied upon. Can I ask you a question? Yeah, what's up? Who do you think wins out on the best active player to yet win a slam debate? Is it Carolina? Is, is it Maddie? Is it somebody else? Who is who is your... Because I always say it's it's... For me personally, it's Maddie and... Carolina kind of like seesawing back and forth. But if I had to pick one, I don't know which one I'd pick. It's interesting because I feel like Carolina's been so much more consistent in her career and spent way, it spent way more time in the top 10, for example. Um, my first thought would always be Pliskova. But now that you're saying it, yeah, like Maddie's he's... Maddie's better slam. Maddie's better slams. did come much closer in her slam final in the U.S. Open. She was up a break in the third and, and Keith got wiped away by Sloan. Uh, I, I would pick Pliskova. Although, I mean, like, I think there is a case to be made that um, even though there's limited data, that like Andrescu is entering that conversation already. A different kind of category, not someone who's been around very long, but like what we've seen her do and how we've seen her take out big titles uh, is impressive. I mean, has Pliskova won a Premier Mandatory? No. I don't, yeah. So, I mean, so she still has, neither is Madison for that matter. Andrescu has, and she's won another one all in a relatively short span. And, and, Mad- and I mean, Andrescu has three slam wins. Yeah, not much. So we'll see. So, so it's different different ways of different sure. depends on what categories. Yeah. I think it's an interesting discussion. Yeah, but you're right. I mean, I wouldn't. Before you said that, I would not put Andrescu in the, that conversation. But um, she's almost in the conversation the same way that it's Safina's in the conversation, and that she's like been that great for a short window. It's not like Dementia, who spent a good decade being ready to win a slam and never got across the line. It's like she, this is her moment, and yeah, like okay. it, it, the highs that she's at, and hopefully will stay at for a while. Like, she's playing slam caliber tennis for sure and doesn't show. And there's no can she do it sort of like asterisk. She She can show. She's shown she can do it. The craziest Andrescu stat. And there's a lot of crazy Andrescu stats. But Bianca Andrescu has won all of the matches she's played against top 10 opposition in her entire career. 7-0. It's nuts. 7-0. The first. And, like, we're trying to still, like, nail it down because I, I, like, we haven't figured out how to specifically look up this stat. But, like, has anyone on the men's and women's side ever i mean maybe back in the like chrissy and martina days i don't know but like has anybody ever won the first seven matches they played against top 10 opposition in their careers it would almost have to be somebody who was there when the rankings started and it was like i'm number one and i'll happen to be seven underlings to start but even then that's hard 
And so I would bet no. I'm gonna I'm gonna just award her okay. from from on her insights the, not brought by SAP. Insights not <laughs> from the from the RMCP instead of SAP. Insights by B E N. There you go. Oh, <laughs> if I make a little logo, it'd be great. Uh, Pliskova opens against. I think her draw is pretty good. Uh, opens against uh, Martinsova. I think it's maybe how you pronounce that. Teresa uh, from the Czech Republic. I don't know much about. And then Para or Bolkvadze, who's a name I'd never seen before this qualifying from Georgia, Georgian qualifier. Uh, and then gets possibly Caroline Garcia as a seed, or Sasnovich, or Jen Brady's been playing actually pretty well. Uh, so that's actually a tough little section, that Garcia, Jabir, Sasnovich, Brady section. But I do think I would pick Pliskova kind of comfortably against all of them. And then fourth round, she could get uh, Joanna Kanta, potentially, or uh, Kasakina as a first-round opponent for, for Kanta, or maybe then Zhang Shuai uh, is there. But I, I like this section for Pliskova. I like her to get into the quarters pretty comfortably. And actually I, and then she would line up maybe against a keys uh, or a Svitolina or maybe a cannon. And, and then, and then that's a, that's a fun little section, but I like Pliskova to get to the quarters. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, I think that, I think when we ran the numbers uh, in the last four years, only Simona and Serena have made more slam quarterfinals over the last four year span than Carolina Pliskova. Here's why I think Pliskova is the best not to win a Grand Slam because I always pick her to do well at them. But seriously though, like I always think, yeah, she's gonna do it. Like this set for Pliskova, I've picked Pliskova to win multiple slams. Has she come close to those slams? No, she has not. <laughs> but clearly, that is that is a reflection of your respect for her, and which, belief. Which yeah. then goes to that question, I think. Yeah, that's that, fair. Yeah. Madison Keys on the flip side argument for her five quarterfinals in the last seven or eight slams. No one else has done that. Madison Keys tends to make these semifinals that, like, even I as an American forget about. Like, she made two slam semifinals last year. She made semifinals here last year. No one remembers that. Nobody does. Who did she play in the quarters? I have no idea. I couldn't tell. I haven't the faintest. <laughs> Do you have the faintest? Who she played in the, the quarters? quarters? Was it not Svitz? No, I don't know. It was last year. Or that, they had that long match against Svitz in 2017, which got her into the quarters, I think. That she, no, maybe into the quarters no. where then she'd be, then be Kanepi, where then she'd beat Coco Vandaway the final yeah those two runs are merging together in my head yeah. and also she made the semis of australian open which was her first no. break she made a french open semi i mean like she's done i mean she's done a lot of things at slams but always like quietly and i'm, I'm trying to think of who she beat in the quarters last year i just i just couldn't tell you i know she did have 13 break points against naomi osaka and did not convert one 13 or 11 it's one of the two numbers but in the semifinal i mean she was right that semifinal could have gone the other way if naomi osaka doesn't save like the absurd number of break points that she did that day um and in that final she would have played serena williams who opened in the first round let's get to this bottom quarter of the draw um and there was a long pause during the reveal as they waited for the screen to load and all the espn people who've been given privy to this draw um which is allegedly done randomly is uh <laughs> waited for william sharapova to pop up first the second time in three years that maria sharapova has played a very high profile first round match this one is orders of magnitude i think more popcorny than halep although I will say, uh, well, here's the thing. It's more popcorny from a narrative point of view, less popcorny from a tennis point of view. Because, <laughs> Courtney approved of that clarification, <laughs> because Sharapova has not been playing well. She's not. She's ranked. Okay. Oh, I mean, you okay. can argue that if you no, want. No, She's ranked in the 80s. She has not had a, a great win, arguably, all year. I mean, she beat Wozniacki in Australia, but the Wozniacki's had a pretty bad year. Honestly, has it shaken out? Uh, Could have beaten Barty uh, in Australia, but then hasn't played much since then. Uh, retired down 5-0 in the third of her match in Wimbledon against Pauline Parmentier. Parmentier started dancing. Sharapova did not appreciate that later. She expressed on social media. Uh, and yeah, so they draw each other. 
Serena famously has won the last 18 of their matches for an overall 19-2 record. Um, Sharapova, however, uh, is 2-2 two and two against her without Meldonium. So there's that going for her. She's, we believe, without Meldonium at the moment, uh, as suggested by WADA. Um, yeah, so we'll see. I, I don't know. I mean, like, these matches, why it's a rivalry, and it is a rivalry, folks, is because this is the person who Serena would most hate to lose to. It's not a rivalry because they're equal. Like, who is even, like, because then by that metric, Serena's biggest rival is Venus. But no one thinks of that as, like, a rivalry per se. That's just sisters being sisters and sharing each other's New York Times magazines covers on their Instagrams and stuff. That's not rivalry. That's just sort of, like, we play each other a lot. Rivalry, to me, is just, like, your most, for lack of a better word, hated opponent. Your most, like, the one who just gets your goat, you know? And, yeah. Yeah, and, and specifically, Sherwood does not get this goat, to use the other meaning of goat, because she just can't beat her and is she ready to beat her now no serena did have the back spasms canada pulled out of cincinnati but was practicing in cincinnati that day which makes you think it wasn't that serious or if she was borderline to play in cincinnati i think she's probably i'm thinking gonna be pretty good by the time new york comes around well you never know uh yeah but i i don't know i i don't expect this match to be much but it will be a lot (laughs) (laughs) i can't top that analysis to be quite honest um yeah i i you know, there have been too many times in the last decade or so where, you know, you can sit there and you can do all of the mental gymnastics to get yourself into a place where you say, could happen, could happen, but it invariably doesn't. And it doesn't even come close to happening, really. Um, and at the end of the day, this is about X's and O's. It's about how their games match up. And it's just a tough matchup for Maria and uh, as going towards <clears throat> what you said about rivalries and the nature of rivalries and getting up for rivalries. The unfortunate thing for Maria Sharapova is Serena Williams has never taken the court, not up to, oh, yeah. to, well, at least in the last 18, maybe she got stunned a little bit early, uh, you know, at the Wimbledon final and stuff, but she has never been not up to play Maria. Whereas we've obviously seen times, many times where Serena doesn't seem up to play whatever match that she's playing at that moment. There's just that little extra edge that she brings. So, you know, if Serena is out there and she's healthy, and I think that she is, and I think that it, obviously retiring in the final in Toronto to Andrescu was a bummer, but she fought through a lot of great matches in that, that week. In a lot of ways, you would think, okay, so long as your back's okay, the tennis is there, which is great. Um, it's good. I mean, but but looking aside from, from Maria, like how do you assess Serena's uh, path to 24? So Serena's draw from there is actually not great. I will say the last thing I'll say on Serena Sharapova is like, as much as yes, 18 in a row is lopsided, a lot of the individual matches have been pretty good. Like a lot, several of them have been like really competitive matches. Granted, they all go the same way and it can feel inevitable they go that way, but they've been hard fought. The 2015 Australian Open final, particularly 2013 French Open final was another very good match. They played a Miami final, I think early in 2013. They played a lot in a short stretch where Serena kind of ran up the score. Mm-hmm. Um, but several of those were at least on face competitive. Uh, winner of this match gets the winner of Kath- Katie McNally against Timea Baczynski. Uh McNally uh, is an interesting player. She made the semifinals of Washington where I was, and she's uh, sort of the obvious comparison people make to her is Coco Vandeweghe, because she has this sort of heavy kind of topspin game, but also comes into net quite a bit. Or not the topspin, less so than the net. She's a very all-court player, uh, very all-around comfortable player. And a lot of the junior players seem to be that kind of way, which is, which is intriguing. I think Haley Baptiste, Another player who's not in the straw, but who had a good Washington also by beating Madison Keys. Um, you know, she 
it's that way. So Baczynski against Main Alley actually could be a really nice looking match. I haven't seen Baczynski a lot lately, but she has gotten her ranking back into the top 100. She got direct into this tournament, which is good to see. She's a good value add in any room with a transcriptionist. And um, yeah, so one of them could be for Serena, a, a uncomfortable but not impossible opponent. And then an even more uncomfortable opponent, the one I'm hoping happens, is uh, Shea Suwei, who Serena has not faced in her in this new incarnation of Shea, the sort of this version of Shea in the last three years when Shea's been really at the peak of her gifts and it's more of a known quantity now. I mean, she what's weird about Shea is that she got to her career high ranking like 10 years ago and no one remembers that version yeah. of her. Like, I, I, I have very vague recollections of that version of her, but now she's getting big wins on big stages and seeing her get a toy with Serena on our Ash or seeing Serena just hit through it. Either way, whoever it shakes out, I think Shea will get her moments if that match happens. It'd be a lot of fun. Uh, Carolina Mukova, another player who's also crafty, uh, is there also in sh- as a possible second round for Shea if she beats uh, Rubikina. So yeah, so and even Shepalova actually, who's there, is a I don't expect to do much here, but did qualify, uh, has beaten Serena and Charleston in 2014. Just gonna say the name. Corey does not agree with his inclusion, but you know I'm all for inclusivity. Uh, Shea, yeah, I, I would love to see a Shea Serena match. That's the one I'm, I'm hoping yeah. for in the third round. No, that'd be fun. Uh, I mean, on the whole, I think this is a pretty good draw for Serena, just generally to, to make it deep into the second week. And um, obviously, we're just getting over the drama of the that opening match, but then everything kind of locks into place. Shea Sue would love to see that match uh, against Serena, possible round of 16 with, I don't know who makes it out of here, Savastova, who Serena's never had a problem with. Petra Martic hasn't really been playing well since uh, the French Open. Maybe an Iga Sviatek in there uh, who could make it through. That would be amazing. Uh, love, love Iga Sviatek. So um, but otherwise, so I think that that's a really good path for her um, through into the quarterfinals. And then potentially quarterfinal, uh, you're really looking at maybe an Ash Barty, possibly Kerber who hasn't, who was 0-2 over the summer. Um, still without a coach, Angie Kerber. So a lot of question marks surrounding her. Uh, Wang Shang is in there, but also hasn't been playing uh, particularly well. Really this season, a lot of her points, she's the 18th seed, but a lot of her points are really on the back end through China um, and the China swing. So she's definitely not playing at her ranking at the moment. Obviously, Maria Sakari, always dangerous, opens against Camilla Georgie. Not easy, could play a Peng Shui or Lepchenko and then a Barty in the third round. But I don't know. I mean, looking at it, I'm seeing a Serena Barty quarter, which I, I would love to see. I would love to see a, a peak Ash Barty against a, a, a as peak as she could be right now, Serena Williams. And I'd, I'd be really curious to see how that one shakes out. Especially in a kind of Ash Night session yeah. environment for Barty. She hasn't really been in that kind of feel uh, before. So that would be interesting. Uh, only other stat I'll throw out in this group, I think you nailed down well, Sevastova is actually I think, the only player who's made quarterfinals or better the last three years in a row yeah. at the U.S. Open. So... Even though she, yes, she has not been challenging to Serena in their matchups before. Uh, Serena also is going to get to play kind of like if if the draw breaks the right way, like all crafty players, like four, like four in a row after Sharapova, who has been known to hit the occasional drop shot. <laughs> um, that forehand slice, baby. Bachinsky or McNally, uh, and then one Mukova or Shea or even Zavalova. Uh, some people say, and then uh, Savastova, and then a Kerber, Sakari, or Barty. I mean, those are all kind of like crafty crafty uh crafty types on the court so uh yeah and then we'll get to maybe we can do another second week show because there's just no point in looking further than that yeah, <laughs> in women's tennis anymore um that's fair mm-hmm. I, I can't i can't argue with that but otherwise other, on the whole 
I think it's a pretty balanced draw. I don't, you know, we're coming off of slams where we have the quarter of death and all this sort of stuff and real big pockets where you're like, oh man, if you don't make it through here, you complete like as a top four, top eight seed, like you've really, you know, uh, duffed it. But there, there's, there's a lot of question marks surrounding everybody, like in terms of players who are lower ranked who are playing really well, top seeds who have injury concerns or never play well in New York or, you know, whatever it is. So I'm just, I have been ready since Thursday evening to just start play. This whole waiting period from Fridays, like 72 hours. Ugh, it's been exhausting. They did the draw early here they on Thursday. It's way too early. I think it was way too early. I think it's too early too. And But you know, that being said, ESPN did a great job with it. Um, <laughs> I'm, I kid. I, I, I'm really just completely joking. Um, Jesus. <laughs> here is the men's draw. Uh, Corey, have you seen this yet? I have not. I've only heard things. Okay, well, here's some things. Novak Djokovic, top seed and defending champion. I've gotten to use that a lot at Slams lately. It's very convenient. Uh, Djokovic opens against Carvajas Baena and then plays possibly Sam Querrey or, surprise, Cincinnati Wildcard won Ignacio Landero. Uh, uh, Querrey did beat him at Wimbledon uh, three years ago. I think this is a comfortable opening for Djokovic, and then he'd get Kuba Tipsarovic, Darcy, or Lajevic, uh, all of which pro- probably to face either um, uh, the – probably to face – one of these next three names in this section. And I, yes, I am including Yannick Sinner in here. Uh, Sam Wawrinka opens against Yannick Sinner qualifier. Uh, the flame haired ginger from South Tyrol. Uh, who's uh, one of those German Italians. Uh, I was looking up like the stats, like apparently like in his hometown, one of his hometowns is listed like 95% of people, 95% of people speak German as first language. It's just like basically an offshoot of Austria. Uh, and then the winner of that faces likely faces uh, Winston Salem champion, Ubert Urkaz. Courtney, this was a big moment for you when he won in his mock turtleneck. Can you uh, discuss and give a little thumbs up at the end like he would? I mean, what a gift is Hubie Urkaz. Just wearing his dumb mock turtleneck. It's a Yonix thing because I know Stan wears it every once in a while. And just, you know, nearly choking to Benoit Pair. Couldn't hit a forehand to save his life. And somehow was able to do it. And able to get across the line, playing in his first ATP final, winning, um, and then just being absolutely adorable in his in his weird speech thing, where we really got to stop doing this. And I know they do it at Wimbledon, and it's Sue Barker, so I will forgive it. But it should just be a winner speech. You don't need to be interviewing the winner. And it was like really weird because clearly, you know, this is his first title. He's clearly in his head thought about like what he's going to have to say in not his native tongue. But like he gets out there, and the first question was something about like hiring Craig Boynton and like, you know, what do you look for in a coach? And he was like, um, first of all, I'd like to congratulate Ben. (laughs) He just went into his speech and I really didn't like that. It was just like, just let the man do his speech as he wants to do his speech. If you are not Sue Barker, don't do it that way. Because Sue Sue was a very special gift and it's a very specifically Wimbledon thing. And US Open will probably does the interview thing and they're bad at it. I mean, because Sue Barker can read the room. Yeah. Like she understands how to like weave the narrative very quickly and immediately into whoever has just won the match. And And what happened in the match. Like I, Tom Rinaldi, for example, in his interview last year after the mess of the women's final was fairly tone deaf, I thought, in the questions and the sort of framing of it. And obviously a tough moment for him on the microphone in that booing crowd cauldron. But did not handle pretty is well. Is it every? Is this matching your dream? It, that that was when I was like, no, I I never want to watch this match ever again. <laughs> I haven't watched it again. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Her catch is there against Favrinka. That's just a sort of interesting section. And then, I actually think it's a really 
high key draw winner here is Mirmir Kekmanovic, who uh, beat Zverev in Cincinnati, helped by Zverev's twenty double falls. We'll get to Zverev when he comes up in the draw. But twenty double falls, my goodness. Uh, opens against Jere in a uh, all serve matchup, and then the winner of Zachary Svida, the uh, <laughs> the Corey does not know him, but he is the Kalamazoo champion uh, who just got his spot that way against pa- lucky loser Paolo Lorenzi after Kevin Anderson pulled out there. So that's a very open section, and Mirmir suddenly becomes prohibitive favorite to reach third round, being unseated. Oh, that's why. Because I was looking at this, and I was like, why are there only three bolded names? Because Kevin Anderson pulled out, so there's yeah. one less seated. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting. I, I would want to shout out, though. I mean, let's talk about how many Serbs are in this section and just kind of what a credit that is to, in a lot of ways to Novak and just, like, all of these kind of younger Serbs, even older ones. Obviously, Tipsarovic is here, but, like... Just the legacy of, of, of and the growth of Serbian tennis, especially on the men's side, that's not easy. But you have Kecmanovic in there. You've got uh, Jere. You've got, um, yeah, Lajevic. Yeah, like that's that's pretty cool. Um, yeah. I don't know. I just I saw it and I, I thought it was interesting. You said something. You saw something. You've been riding the subway, clearly. Uh, Fanini uh, is in the number 11 seed in this next eighth of the draw. Um, gets Basilashvili. Fanini opens against Opelko. Opelko's been off and on I'm, I'm hot and cold i guess uh another name you may not be familiar with jensen brooksby who qualified another american last year's kalamazoo champion so the kalamazoo lads are here in, in full fullish force uh basilashvili against fuksovic's first round but the big seed in here in this eighth of the draw is number five daniel medvedev uh who has been tearing things up this summer making like summer that i can't remember anybody having anything close to as good to it recently making finals of washington finals of Montreal and then winning Cincinnati, beating Djokovic in the semifinals before beating Goffin in the final. And what was weird about it to me is like, I, he was just like, to me, he felt so bankable. Like, except for the finals against Kyrgios and Nadal, both of which I thought he was an underdog in, but had a chance of winning potentially both. And then the semifinal against Djokovic was also 50, kind of like he had a shot because he beat him at Mont- Monte Carlo earlier this year. But he's just been like winning reliably in this way that I haven't seen any of the young guys like string together strong tournaments like this before, where like you don't have a great week and then immediately flop first round. It's kind of become perfunctory to have that let down the next one. And he hasn't done that. And he's number five with a bullet almost. And I think he really deserves to be talked about at this tournament in a way that no other, you know, yeah, it's exceptional. It is exceptional. He is ATP and rescue. Yeah, sure. I mean, not just in terms of being able to do that backup results, you know, after winning Indian Wells and still being able to make the round of 16 in Miami for Andrescu and really hasn't played a bad tournament this entire season um, is really impressive. Uh, but also just in the way that they win matches. They win matches by adjusting their games to to maximize their chances of winning. Like, you know, playing different ways. And Medvedev, watching him beat Djokovic was stunning only because it was like, how is he hitting these second serves, uh, second serve aces? But you're like, and, and he's just like, no, but that's what I have to do to win. And Drescu has a little bit of that streak as well. It's a little crazy. It kind of doesn't always, you're like, oh, I don't know. But it's it's so refreshing to me to like see young players who aren't just like, I'm going to play my game. And it's like, what if your game sucks today? Like, honestly, don't do that. Like, we, try to win the freaking match. We've had this conversation recently. Yeah. We agree on it emphatically um, and get angry at each other. We're like, no, we're agreeing. <laughs> <laughs> it's the thing we do. Um, where there's this, yeah, reliance on I have to go there and play my game. Like, well, if you're 0-7 against this person, your game clearly is not good enough. So why don't you adjust and learn a tactic? Like, honestly, and that's the thing that Andrescu and Medvedev both do exceptionally well. Medvedev reads the game incredibly well. He's so good at finding someone's weakness and zoning in on it and making them feel stupid. 
Like, he just loves that. And, and then Jessica, too. She, yeah. I think she really loves being a disruptor. And that's what tennis is all about. Like, that's, like, that's, that's that shouldn't be special in elite, world-class tennis. Like, oh, this person analyzes their opponent finds a weakness. Like, this shit is basic. <laughs> and yet it's, it, yet it's rare. And it shouldn't be rare. So here's to Medvedev for doing these things well. Uh, his draw, I think, is pretty good. I mean, third round, he can get um, one of Fritz, who's had a really nice year. Or uh, Nishioka, who had a very good... Um, uh, Cincinnati made quarterfinals beating Kane Shikori on the way before he was undone by a sandwich. Uh, he got food poisoning. Uh, so Medvedev, yeah, Medvedev could then play quarterfinals against Djokovic would be like a blockbuster kind of quarterfinal, I think. Having already beaten the number one guy twice this year, full of belief, if he's not feeling the cumulative effect, and that's what I kept waiting for in Cincinnati, like will he finally just like hit a wall? He really didn't. Uh, How do we feel about the salt man in a best of five like well how what's his situation in best of five matches well, here's the thing this is a story that came out i guess today in the times about how there's been no grand slam first time winner on the men's side for 19 grand slams it is a all-time longest drought without a okay. first-time champion dating back all the way to the 1800s like i went all the way back through the thing really? like, there's never been 19 slams i think i was ch- curious to check the women i haven't checked the women but i wondered if like chris and martina might have pulled off a streak like that at some point but maybe not i don't know anyway uh, there's been no new blood and Medvedev is the most obvious heir apparent like right now he's playing super super high he just went Cincinnati he's beaten people he looks comfortable he plays Tsitsipas which he's not anywhere near in the draw but you know he'd beat him uh, and he's just like he's like why not him like it should be his moment he should get what well, you, you said Edwards is going to win the US Open you should be able to say the same thing about Medvedev right except no one believes that there's going to be a new slam winner Medvedev even is like in his in fairness he was like look I've never made a quarterfinal at a Grand Slam I have made a fourth round once and so if I make a quarterfinal, I'll be, he said, satisfied, not happy, but like, I have to be satisfied with that. And then we'll see. But there's this whole sort of like, like Goffin, and it's not just the guys themselves. I think about the other ones too. Goffin, after he lost to Medvedev in the final of Cincinnati, he was like, he's amazing. He's like a wall. He's so good. He's like, you just can't have the ball past him. He's like, can you win the US Open? He's like, well, that's another <laughs> story. I mean, no, no one can win anything anymore. Uh, so, well, you know, I mean, the belief thing is interesting. I think Medvedev has, is better mentally because he has this sort of like uh no fucks to give ness about him which i've never which i haven't really totally sensed about the more sensitive sasha zverev and stefano Tsitsipas in some ways and nick kiros i've been throwing that conversation um yeah there's there i think that his mindset is right and he's in a really really blue streak right now so this could be a moment for him i think he, i think he can win this tournament yes yeah i mean i i think that one of the interesting things and in why i do um, I like Medvedev a lot game wise and just the way that he's come up is he's done it the hard way. He wasn't the guy who got a flashy win when he was a teenager and then everybody was like, oh, yo, that's the Knicks new guy. Or he's not a guy who, you know, won a master's title when he was super, super young or somebody who Rafa says is the heir apparent. He just like was playing two fifties all the effing time, like and running up wins and learning how to compete and learning how to play. Like he he's honed his game to where now it, it is in this situation. He hasn't had to, he doesn't, you know, that big breakout win, it can make and break you in a lot of ways because it, yeah. Okay. Now, you know, Kyrgios goes and beats Rafa out on, out on, you know, on, on Wimbledon center court, but then it's one match, man. And, and Medvedev actually has for, I think probably what the last two years, two and a half years, like really just like put on his hard hat and went to work. And in so doing, he hasn't skipped any steps in his development as a player. And it's almost like, okay, you're number five now. You know what? That makes sense. As opposed to somebody who has just a out-of-nowhere result. 
and then like it's thrust up there. Even in Andrescu, it's almost like because despite what she's done this season and it's been incredible, she is still the fifteenth seed. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not like she won Indian Wells and she became a top ten player and like whatever because she had that break. She doesn't have points for four months of the season. Um, she's still eight in the race though. So, but it's interesting because it's yeah, it's just two different ways to go about it, right? As opposed to like the breakout result and then everybody's looking at you and then you don't back it up and. You're dealing with different things. It also, you know, he's Russian, and so maybe he didn't get, like, the kind of the European spotlight. Yeah, he didn't get the wild cards. He didn't get the hype machine. And I think that's what I was going to say, basically, is that, like, the, the, one of the lessons with Medvedev, and there are many, but is that, like, hype does not help. It really doesn't. As I look in, down to the second quarter of the draw, and I see the names next to each other, not in the same match, but next to each other, Grigor Dimitrov and Jack Sock, both unbolded in this draw, both being unseated. After having been hyped to high heavens, and actually even Alex Demon is unseated, which is a little surprising to me. Um, but yeah, it's like there's a difference between being the one who people talk about and being the one who's getting things done. And, and in a lot of ways, it can help. I, I'm sure in a lot of ways, being under radar helped Medvedev. He didn't have to live, live with any expectations, but his own, which were pretty measured for most of the time, and remain measured because he's not saying he's saying I'm gonna quarterfinal going up to seeding is, is satisfying. So we'll see. I mean, his his uh, I'll to finish his draw actually against Fanini is, is a tough possible fourth round for him. No, it's, I mean, I, I, it is interesting to kind of watch the next gen kind of like pan out and, uh, you know, because you, even with the, like for as much as Felix has talked about and Chapo and like, you know, the rise of the Canadians and all this sort of thing, it's like, I always, I'm still, especially for someone who's like on the outside of it, ATP outsider, hashtag, like, I'm like, wait, what exactly has Felix done? Like, why are people like, was it Wimbledon or French? I can't remember what slam it was where he was like on like the top 10 list of favorites to win. I'm like, oh, what like are you number, doing? He was like, yeah, number four or five to win at the yeah. French open. And it was like, like he's not won a title. He, and, and I, and I think that, uh, in her piece that she came out of the New Yorker, I think Louisa Thomas addressed this about Felix. And we were talking about it in Washington. I don't think we've ever actually profiled Felix for the New York times. Cause there hasn't been the moment to do it. Like he hasn't had like that result to hang your hat on. He's been like, we could have done it like obviously, but like, it's been a weird sort of blind spot for us with Felix which maybe we'll get fixed this term if he has a good run. I don't know. And I don't think we, I don't think we did it in Canada this year. Maybe we did before Canada. I know we had not anyway. Uh, yeah. Felix is an interesting one because he's gotten so much attention and he has like some signs, but there is no huge signature win there. He made semifinals. Which is fine. He, he made semifinals of Miami, which was a good run. And then he lost like very chokily in that match to Isner. He's had chances in some of the finals he's lost. And again, this is all fine. He's a child. He's 19 years old. <laughs> exactly. But at the same time, like, I think it does show, especially compared to the women where literally everyone is relevant, where, like, the men, like, there's such desperation to end this drought that people are really kind of reaching a little bit. And this and even goes to me with, oh, I don't know if this about myself. No, I think I would love Yannick Skinner regardless. But, <laughs> <laughs> but... That's just ginger on ginger That's love. That's ginger on ginger love right there. Um, yeah, no. Um, yeah, I, I, mean, I think the bar is, is weird right now. So and, much to be excited about with, with Felix and, and everybody. Yes, yes. That, and that's fine. But it's just when people are like, oh, is this going to be? And it's like, I don't, just let, the, let and, the kid play and learn. And I will say, because the rest of the field has been so not grabbing the, the mic or the throne or the crown, whatever you want to call yeah, it. There's a vacuum. There's a vacuum. And it could skip generations. Like, if you say... If someone says to me, the next person to be a first-time Grand Slam champion will be Felix, I would be like, okay, I can't make a convincing argument against that because there's no one else who I've put necessarily ahead of him. I, shit, I've said the same thing about Yannick Sinner necessarily. I mean, like, he's just turned 18 this month, but and he's still ranked outside top 100, but he's playing well, and 
accelerating at a huge rate, like maybe he will pass everyone because no one else is really going that fast in the the four, five, six spots in the outside the big three. So, and that's part of why Andy Murray, who's playing the Rafa Nadal Open this week in Mallorca against an unranked gentleman, um, so we wish him luck with that. We wish both of them luck with that. Uh, interestingly, Murray getting way off track here, but Murray said that he wished he'd entered qualies. He realized like later on, like I could have just entered US Open qualies. Because Murray is having best of five issues, don't we all? Um, and was just looking for more matches. And like, wait, I could have entered US Open qualities. That would have actually worked. And then I was thinking, he's thinking, if I won three rounds, then I would have felt ready maybe to play main draw. At least give it a shot. So anyway, that's your Andy Murray update in the middle of our Felix detour. He's not even in this part of the draw. That's all about Medvedev. <laughs> There's Medvedev's draw for you. Uh, next section, next quarter is Roger Federer's. I'm scanning it quickly. He's definitely making the semis. Like, who is even worth talking about in here? He op- a lot of people have giggles about his first round opponent. He's yeah. never played Nadal in the first at, at the U.S. Open, but he has now going to get the chance to play Nagal. I think that's how you pronounce it. Uh, Sumit Nagal, who is a qualifier, India, and then gets Benchishri and or Jumer, and then gets Puy, Cole Schreiber, Manorino, or Evans. I think Evans. Oh no, it's not going to be tough. But like, I feel like Evans maybe has played some decent guys tightish. I think he played Rafa in one tight set this in Canada. And then golf and or Pella. Yeah. And this is a really boring draw. I, this is nothing here. No, we're moving on. It's, it's Federer's. <laughs> Honestly, who do I even talk about there? No. Right. Yeah. Uh, next quarter is the classic open quarter, the non big three quarter, which uh, has some interesting names in it. At least uh, last time the open quarter was captured. Oh, this is fun. Yeah. The last time the open quarter was captured by Patisa Gut, who is in here too. Uh, the high seed is team. Team has been talking a very small game about this tournament, saying he's been feeling under the weather somewhat. I didn't read the whole translation, but basically saying, like, I'm ready. I'll play my first match. We'll see what happens, was kind of his tone. His draw is not horrible, that being said. He opens against Fabiano, who beat team, uh, beat Tsitsipas, rather, in the first round of Wimbledon. Uh, but it's not a great hardcore player that I can think of. Uh, and then gets Bublik, who, who he had a really fun match with at uh french open went five sets or uh, santiago geraldo and then kyle edmund maybe so it's actually a really comfortable draw for team if he's feeling up for it and then fourth round you get the winner of the all canadian rematch where this time the other one is seated uh the aforementioned talked about felix Oje aliasim against Denis shapovalov who's surprising to see unseated actually in this tournament and then maybe monfils who's been had, had injury issues and kind of up and down here um so yeah, so actually it's a really good draw for team. Team's like a big draw winner, which is kind of a shame that he's not feeling great then, because if he's not feeling great, then some, with all due respect, some randos can make it out of here and inflate I mean, it could, I mean, honestly, it could be Gael, it could be Felix, for as much as we were just giving Felix a ton of crap. No, Felix, this is actually like, weirdly, like, well, Chapeau is a tough first round. And so and like, Monfils I would be a tough and Monfils is a tough third round, if Monfils is healthy. And he usually does get up for this tournament. Um, he loves it in New York. Um, but yeah, this is a big opportunity actually for all these guys, assuming team is as out of, out of readiness as he says he is. And then that upper section is actually really fun. Um, Tsitsipas is the high seed in this eighth of the draw. Could face, uh, will face Rublev in the first round, which is a very tough match. Uh, Rublev had a very strong Cincinnati, beat Roger Federer early on there, um, playing well. And then Gilles Simon second, and then his, uh, 
two-time mix uh sorry not mixed two-time doubles men's doubles partner this summer uh nick curious who they their like bromance was the wildest <laughs> thing this summer um they both fully gave ncr credit for it, which i will happily take yeah. uh and then and the owner of the we haven't talked since then but like the owner of the washington tournament listened to the ncr interview with nick and was like hey we should make that basically i'll throw some money at them and they'll agree to do it <laughs> and so that's what happened and it was really cool seeing them open up I don't know what's going on with him now because it's about like deleted his photo on Instagram with Nick and unfollowed him. So who knows what's what? going on? Oh so my. I hear. So the tweeters tell me. Um, oh. Yeah, who knows for that kid? <laughs> honestly, but but Nick is uh, Nick won Washington and then had a meltdown in Cincinnati. Um, got hundred hundred some hundred and fifteen some something in the low six figure fine, which is still a high fine to be clear when you're in six figures. Um, and no suspension yet. Uh, they were still said they kind of left it hanging. I, maybe they've decided on no suspension now. I don't know. I, I don't know if they would announce that separately. Do you know what Nick's next ATP event is? I don't. What is it? Oh, it's Labor Cup. Yes. So maybe they'll wait till after that to, to figure out stuff. I don't know. Uh, you know this 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 sport, man. It's wild. Uh, and then yeah. So so winner of Tsitsipas, Kiras. They play each other in the semifinals. Of Washington. Great match. Would love to see it again here uh nick would be up for it next draw is pretty comfortable steve johnston and then winner of leonardo meyer meyer and your cousin antoine huang of france got the wild card um yeah and then batista uh is in the section kakushkin it's kind of similarish players there the bonus uh berrettini and gasquet gasquet would have been the 33 seed had anderson pulled out earlier i believe i think maybe that's wrong i think i heard that maybe i completely completely wrong but uh yeah berrettini is uh is playing well um and then the next quarter is the nadal quarter uh nadal is here opens against john millman that's a tough first round nadal i feel like nadal hasn't been a draw loser that often maybe maybe that's wrong but like i feel like he i don't associate him with getting tough draws maybe that's wrong i'm sure there's some spreadsheet out there from some novak fan who can tell me yes or no um <laughs> opens against millman who was a quarterfinalist here last year beat federer tough first round kokonakis uh for the record atp outsider does not think that's a tough first round against millman why not just don't. Okay. What's John been doing? Form does. Reason form does matter. It does, I guess. But he'll be desperate to save all those points. Um, desperation counts for a lot, right? Uh, and then Kokonakis, who is a dangerous when healthy player, and is at least healthy enough to be in this draw. He's been pulling out a lot of stuff lately, so we'll see. And then he could get Chung or Verdasco. Both of them are dangerous players. Chung, resurgent. Uh, qualifying Courtney is making faces. She doesn't agree with any of this analysis. Verdesco has beaten him at uh, Hardcore Slam before and had a pretty solid year, actually. And then can get Chilich or Isner. Uh, Isner's had a really bad summer, actually. Isner usually cleans up his time of year and really has not. Um, I heard Isner say, I don't know if he's still going to hold to this with how rough his summer's been, but Isner said he's going to play this tournament and then Labor Cup and then shut down the season. Um, just take rest and do things. We all appreciate any sort of vaguely Andrew Luck type move for self-preservation. Uh, yeah, and then Isner has never beaten at all anything except Labor Cup, which now counts toward the head-to-head. So technically, he lost, won their last match. Uh, and now, and then the next part is Kachanoff, who played Nadal very tough here last year, or Zvera, who I who is a good draw, but I expect to lose to pair in the uh, third round. So, Courtney, what do you think of Nadal's draw here? You think it's tough? Not tough? Agree? Disagree? I do not think this is a tough draw for Rafa Nadal through the first week. Obviously, second week, I mean, yeah, Khashinov is in there, could be could be dangerous, uh, but uh, I'm feeling like Rafa's going to make the semis. 
Um, yeah, probably. I mean, because well, yeah, team. I mean, if if team gets healthy and you know they had that amazing match last year, um, that late night uh one, which would have been cool. Uh, yeah, I I. This goes back to the conversation we were having before about kind of reaching, because you 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 feel like you just you gotta, yeah. like what am I missing? There's got to be a narrative here that I don't I don't I don't personally see it, but I also know. I don't know the ATP anymore. So, but it just nothing. If I'm Rafa Nadal, I'm not really all that concerned with anybody that's in this section. And the names that are in this section are not exactly playing well right now, which, okay, maybe they might be able to tag you in a best of three, but in a best of five, I just, I, I think that's really, really tough. Um, and Rafa took Cincy off, so he'll be healthy. And yeah. There we go. Uh, as, as you would say, as your ATP outsider, as Venus would say, wishing him luck. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that was wonderful. Uh, yeah, Venus was very chatty in, uh, in Cincinnati. It was, it was, it was interesting, uh, different. So hope it stays. Everyone should read read Liz Wiles' uh, piece on uh, Venus uh, in New York Times Mag, which I think is is really great. And then at least as of recently, the de- the definitive kind of late career Venus piece. Uh, in a lot of ways, it's it's a great it's a great read. Um, Liz worked really good on it and hard on it. So yeah. Also features WTA and Sarah Courtney when quoted. One quote that doesn't honestly need to be in there, but it doesn't, it's not exactly illustrative of anything, but thanks for including me. And there we go. Uh, the award-winning Court and Nguyen and I are signing off now. Any other thoughts on uh, the uh, tournament, Draw New York, anything before we let these people go? Not really. I mean, I, I, I'm, yeah, I'm just ready to go. I, I really, really want to see something interesting happen on the women's side. Um, you know, I would love to, to get to the point where we're starting to get closer to qualifications for, for Shenzhen. So, you know, one of the top eight play top eight seeds to, to do something. Um, no one qualified yet? No. Wow. No one's qualified. Um, which is typically the case. Usually we actually don't get qualifications until right around U.S. Open. And then it's been down to the wire for the last three spots, um, the last three years. Um, and this year, because of even more parity, um, and, and the titles and points being passed around, it's, it's been a little bit more of an open field, but that being said, like, I think we were looking at some numbers and it's like the, um, like six of the top eight after Wimbledon on the race, it's like a 98% chance that they qualify, you know, like in historically, like when we look at it, don't quote me on those numbers, but it's something similar to that. So, um, so that would be interesting. Um, you know, whether or not, again, we get four different major champions on the women's side, it would be the third consecutive year that that happens. Wow. Um, so that's interesting. One thing to point out, I was just looking at it last night. Top 10, a top 10 seed has won uh, each one of the majors this year. So when it comes to looking at it, it has, as much as we say, ah, oh, crazy. But actually, the, it, it has been a top 10 seed that wins it um, so far. That would still be revolutionary by ATP standards. <laughs> this is clear. also true. This is also true. Um, Do you think, to, to, I mean, last thought on ATP before we, mm-hmm. one last lingering thought. You pick top three of the field, big three of the field. Big three, of course. <laughs> of course, this is the weirdest dumb question. <laughs> Trying to make it make it clear. Anyway, yeah. There you go. There you go. All right. Um, I don't have any right right thoughts. I'm gonna make. Uh, well, thank you for listening to No Challenges Remaining. If you wanna follow along when you're not listening, you should. You can if you want. Um, we are at ncr underscore tennis on Twitter. You can send us emails. No Challenges Remaining at Gmail 
gmail.com. Leave us reviews on your podcast catcher of choice, whether it's iTunes or such. I think we, people have asked us to get on Spotify. We can try to figure that out. I tried to figure it out and then I gave up. Uh, but I'll try again, maybe. Uh, yeah. And uh, I'm going to play you out with uh, a song that I think is anthemic and wonderful. I listen to a lot on the drive uh, from Cincinnati, Washington, uh, which is the song Love Killer by Swedish recording, by Swedish recording artist Darren. It's very dramatic. And imagine two Monte Carriol singing loud, uh, enthusiastic backup falsetto in the backseat as you went through Appalachia. It was a moment. Bye, guys. I'm so sorry that he's making you listen to this song. It's not bad. Is it bad? I don't think it's bad. People enjoy it. It's not good. I didn't say it was good. I'm just saying it's not bad. Goodbye. This blood is on your hands. Now no one can save my heart. And the scar you left can be repaired.